uh, a lot of people have asked me, and I'm sure you've gotten this question as well is like, isn't that boring? You know, like, you know, like, you know, going for swimming for three, four, five, six, more than that, you know, 10 hours, you know, like, <laughs> you know, isn't yeah. that like, this is the most boring thing ever. And objectively, I guess you sort of have to agree. You're just going for hours and hours and hours to swing in your arms and you can't talk to people. And that's, you know, one of the things I love about it is, you know, like I mentioned, I had an, I have an extroverted side, but marathon swimming, even more so than running and cycling allows you to really explore being an introvert. Cause even if you're with other people, you can't talk to them unless you stop. Right. And right. I, there's some magic in that. I, I love it. Hello and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers and those who support them. I'm marathon swimmer and coach, Shannon Keegan. Do you enjoy marathon swim stories? Tell a friend about it, or leave a review with your podcast provider. Want to give some feedback? I'd love to hear from you. Shannon at intrepidwater.com. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, Rob, it's great to talk to you on the other side of the world, quite literally. Thank you for being my guest today on Marathon Swim Stories. I'm in a new location. I'm in my garage. I hope it's not too echoey. <laughs> but... uh, sounds fine to me down here in New Zealand. I can't hear the echo. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, tell us. Tell us, Rob, what's your story? Well, um, basically, you, you may have already picked up already. I'm not from New Zealand. I'm uh, not going to convince anyone I wasn't born here. Um, <clears throat> I'm from a little town called Cornerbrook, Newfoundland in Canada. Um, I've lived a reasonably nomadic life. I've uh, lived in a total of five countries now and visited many others. Um, I started doing, uh, I started swimming when I was uh, not quite 13 years old. And um, the swimming was born basically out of being an absolutely terrible athlete. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was always a really active little kid. Uh, like skiing, riding BMX bikes, splashing about in the water. But, you know, um, in Canada and the United States are similar. Um, you know, the main sports that people do are like baseball, uh, basketball, and, you know, a few other things like that. Um, I have never been able to aim at a target and hit it. Um, you know, <laughs> if I'm throwing a ball, can't catch, can't throw. Um, so basically, my I was a bench warmer of the grade seven basketball team and got pretty frustrated with that. Um, and then I basically for about a year, the year I was, uh, through almost all the way through my grade eight year, I think I was 13 in grade eight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I was not active at all. I got really frustrated by, you know, I was basically kind of humiliated by my grade seven basketball mm -hmm. coach. And, um, I sat around, you know, it was a very out of character. I, um, uh, sat around eating a lot of junk food, watching a lot of TV. Back in the day, um, uh, some friends of mine, uh, we played this you know role-playing game called Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that game has evolved to the internet now. I mean, back then it was just paper and imagination. I don't know what, I don't know what it involves now. Right. Uh, but basically, uh, one morning, uh, I think it was April, the year I was in grade eight, which would have been 1989, I, uh, I, I was getting out of the shower. Um, for going to ready, getting ready to go to school. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I just, just realized, oh my God, I'm turning into my father. Like, uh, you know, I hadn't been active, eating a lot of junk food. My father, three years earlier, I think it was, he'd had his heart attack in his 40s. Oh my goodness. And wow. um, yeah, so uh, he, he survived it and, you know, life went on. But um, I just, it was just this moment of looking at myself in the shower and I went, oh my God, I'm turning into dad. Wow. And um, I went downstairs for breakfast and I said, mom, uh, I want to join the swim team because uh, really? I just had this moment where I just remembered that I really love swimming. Okay. And so you'd learned also, yeah, you like, lessons I, I just, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could swim, but I mean, I couldn't, I was very uncoordinated, couldn't do freestyle that, that well, you know, couldn't get the length of the pool without pausing for breath but I love being in the water and I also love being on my BMX bike and just running around in the bush for no reason. So uh, I said to mom, yeah, I want to join the swim team. And by the time I got uh, home from school, she registered me on the swim team. 
and went on that afternoon. So, I mean, that's basically how I started swimming. Wow. And it was, yeah, and it was good. Um, I can't remember exactly. I'm going to guess somewhere between three and four months where I went from, you know, okay, I'm in the water flailing about like an idiot because my coordination is, you know, my natural coordination is not awesome. Um, so it took a lot of work, but, you know, three, four months in, you know, I was allowed to, you know, I was, I could allow myself to swim for the whole hour and a half, two hour swim practice without, you know, feeling like I was hit by a truck. <laughs> and, um, what basically the, what really drew me to swimming other than just loving the water was that unlike basketball, which I'd failed miserably at, I was allowed to race, even though I wasn't good. Ah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so initially that was what really, uh, you know, I mean, my coach didn't seem to care that I wasn't that good. She recognized I was working hard and, uh, yeah, so that's, um, that's basically how I became a swimmer. Um, and it was a number of months, uh, later, um, there was, uh, three guys in particular, all older than me. I was only, you know, like I say, 13 years old at the time. Uh, they were triathletes and, um, the, the youngest, triathlete that I knew on the swim team he was 19 so the age difference was significant at that time and my hometown even though it's a very small town of about 30 odd thousand people at the time one of Canada's top triathletes was uh was was from Cornerbrook and uh mm-hmm. he was training he was training with us he was about 24 or 25 at the time wow um and uh, another guy his name was Jamie Merrigan he uh, he was 19 and one of the juniors in the triathlete uh, in the triathlon at the time I just went up to him with all the gusto I could muster. I wasn't very confident back then, but I just, you know, worked up the courage to go up and talk to him. He was a friendly guy, but like mm-hmm. in no way intimidating. But I just said to him, hey, Jamie, I want to be a triathlete like you. And because um, uh, at that time I was starting to recognize that the longest event in swimming was 1500 meters right. uh, you know, at, 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 in the pool. And I was like, oh, I want to go for hours. Um, how did so, you know that when did you yeah. decide that you wanted to swim for hours yeah so I went up to him and said I want to be a triathlete and he just looked at me you know I was still not looking like a runner and not looking like much of a swimmer to be honest at that time still and uh, he just said yep sure come with us we train uh, we do our running training on Wednesday afternoons and he invited me you know to the running and uh, he was just said a number of encouraging things and I uh, never really forget it. Uh, one of the older guys uh, on the team who would have been, I don't know, 17 or 18 at the time, uh, just as I was getting ready to jump in the water for practice, he went up to Jamie after this conversation. He goes, you know, why would you help him out? He's a little fatty. So uh, he's never going to be able to do a triathlon. So, uh, you know, who does that guy think he is? And uh, basically it was one of those moments in life that, you know, to some people it wouldn't seem like very much, but I mean, it was basically who do I think I am? And I said, I don't actually have the answer to that right now, but whoever I am or whoever I'm going to become, I'm going to be a long distance swimmer and I'm going to be a triathlete. That's what I, and I jumped in the pool, swam harder than I ever had before and went to do my first triathlon in my hometown, uh, maybe three months later, um, on my $200, uh, bike from a department store. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's how that journey started. So, I do both triathlon and marathon swimming, as you know. Uh, the journey, the endurance sport journey, started with that decision to become a swim, uh, go on the swim team, mm-hmm. uh, so I'd be allowed to participate. And then, yeah, I just went to uh, triathlon, and um, on my third season of triathlon, my swimming coach she also said, "Hey, you should do marathon swimming too. We've got open water events that are starting. Wow. You'd love it." let's do it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do it. <laughs> how did you, how did, when did you, so you kind of, I feel like you kind of skipped from I'm a swimmer to, I want to be a marathon swimmer <laughs> and a triathlete. Yeah. When did you like, when did you learn that you were really like comfortable in the water for long periods and when, or like, and when did you start like open water swimming and what was that? Well, transition my like? first, my first open water swim, uh, was a couple of days before, uh, the triathlon in my hometown. Okay. Um, uh, and, uh, in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, you know, I mean, we have two seasons. We have winter and, you know, like almost winter. And <laughs> to, to be fair, we do have a reasonably short, brief summer, but I mean, I've learned that summer is actually since longer since I then learned, moved to Australia and now New Zealand. I actually learned <laughs> that summer is longer and actually warmer. Um, but uh, the lake, the lake that the triathlon is held in is, is frozen a lot of the year. Um, so 
my first ever time really trying to train in the open water was just a few days before my first triathlon. Wow. And in my first triathlon, um, you know, I, I, I alluded a moment ago, you know, I could never learn to throw a ball straight. Swimming in a straight line after a little bit of practice became almost a natural talent, but it did take a little bit of practice. Mm-hmm. On that first triathlon I did, that was my first open water race, the 1500 meter swim in that race. Uh, I could not swim in a straight line. <laughs> uh, so that 1500 meters is probably a lot closer to two kilometers, maybe even a little longer. Nice. Um, and I didn't know about uh, looking up to sight to see where you're going. I just said, well, you know, I look at the black line in the pool. I'll just keep my head down and go. In the starting shoot, um, you know, they had uh, the they took lane ropes from the pool and they set up a boy line. Uh, you know, it was 25 meters out uh, on I don't know how wide it was, but enough to fit a few hundred athletes starting at the uh, at the start line. So I decided in my first triathlon, I, I, I'm small. I'm the youngest guy here. I'm 13 years old. I better stay off to the side so that I don't get myself killed. And uh, it was a good strategy. I didn't get kicked in the face, but I didn't know about sighting. So I slammed into that boy that was under the head. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So my my introduction to open water swimming wasn't a whole lot better than basketball. Uh, But the difference is with a bit of training, I could actually learn to go straight and, you know, reasonably good, you know, not elite, but, you know, I became reasonably good at it. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, so when did you um, start swimming longer distances? Triathlon swims aren't so long. So when did you start swimming? Well, longer? Um, I became interested in marathon swimming. Like I said, I did triathlons for the first few years. Like the first few triathlons I did were, you know, kind of a stumbling through, you know, arguably a bit of a disaster, but mm-hmm. I really enjoyed myself. Uh, it was my third season in triathlon where uh, this is something i describe in my book quite a lot where, you know, I, it, I don't want to make it sound like I evolved into a world champion. Cause that's not true. I mean, I was never an elite athlete, but I was finding my feet in the sport of triathlon and marathon swimming. My coach had come to me um, just as I was starting the third triathlon season and said, yeah, you know, you should be a marathon swimmer. And there was this 16 kilometer event in a place called Lac St. Jean, Quebec um, in Canada. And, mm-hmm. um, a week before my hometown triathlon, this 16 kilometer swim was held. And I thought, Oh yeah, that sounds great. Let's go swim for 16 kilometers. I've, you know, never swam that far before, but go for it. And uh, yeah, the Lac St. Jean uh, marathon swimming was just this, you know, it was just this amazing thing. I mean, like i have been outside of Newfoundland before, but never for competing um, until, you know, that season. And, uh, you know, just that was where I got my first exposure to people swimming longer than, uh, you know, 1500 meters in the pool. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the 1500, I, I knew about Ironman triathlon. I hadn't done an Ironman at that point. I did many later. But, you know, in an Ironman, the swim is 4K. Right. And for me, um, in triathlon, I'm, you know, a reasonably good runner. And uh, I was never that great a cyclist. I mean, I was, you know, could hold my own, but uh, cycling was my weak leg. And, uh, you know, I always kind of had it in the back of my mind. I, I wish they'd do a triathlon where like the swim would take as long as the bike and the run. Right. Um, so, you know, that's why the 16 kilometer swim just immediately appealed to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so that, that was in 1993, uh, that I did that race. Uh, so that's when I, you know, the longest I'd ever swam before outside of swim practice would have been six or seven K. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I found myself at the start of a 16k which you know big jump how did did that go (laughs) um it actually went really well um i won uh uh, not the overall event i won the junior event i was 17 at the time um and um my strategy you know this was in the days before google of course uh didn't have any ways to research what's the best things you should do for a marathon swim and my Cornerbrook, Newfoundland library, you can imagine, wasn't stocked with marathon swimming books. <laughs> <laughs> so I just had this strategy of, right, I'll, uh, I'll get in the water and uh, I'll go hard and then I'll go harder and see how long it takes to finish. And that is more or less what happened. If I can't remember my exact time. It would have been, you know, three hours, maybe 3.45, if I remember correctly, in that sort of ballpark. It was less than four hours. Um, but it was just a case of let's go hard and go harder hurt like hell and see how long it takes. And yeah, it was, it was 
somewhere in the range of 345. I can't remember the exact time. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. What, yeah. Um, what came next in the marathon swimming sphere after that 16K at 17? Well, I'll, I'll just back up one step there if that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, an, important, an important part of the journey was the triathlon that happened three or four weeks before that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in a place called Truro, Nova Scotia, which is one province over in Atlantic Canada. Um, you know, I mentioned my dad had a heart attack when he was in his forties. Uh, he survived it. And unfortunately, uh, he kind of descended into an alcoholism. Oh. Um, so that part of my marathon swim and triathlon journey was very important. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, uh, the way I describe my family life prior to being a teenager, it was a bit like volcanoes, you know, things would boil over and then things would kind of go back to normal for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. I always, you know, in retrospect, compare my father to Homer Simpson when I was a little kid. Uh, you know, I had the sense that he cared and, you know, uh, he was just content to watch TV and have a beer and occasionally came out of a shell. Um, but yeah, unfortunately for a variety of, um, you know, things that happened in his life and he descended into a, you know, downward spiral of alcoholism and drug abuse, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so he got increasingly violent and, uh, three days or three days before this triathlon that I was going to in Truro, Nova Scotia, that's when it got as violent as it, you know, at, up to that point, he, uh, he attacked me while I was making my dinner. Um, so it was, um, one of those things that, you know, um, before that, in my mind, abuses and violence in families is what happens to other people. Mm-hmm. I guess it's fair to say, um, you know, there, like I say, there were threats of it before that, but it never actually happened. Um, and I guess I, you know, I was pretty much in a state of shock. Uh, my swimming coach at the time, her name was Anna Krizan. Um, I basically, you know, I, I'm, I feel fortunate in a sense that when I was 17 and had four years of training under my belt, I was big enough and capable enough to look after myself. So I wasn't hurt. I mean, I fought back and I actually hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I ran out of the house. My mother was away out of town that weekend. My sister was staying, uh, with friends. So my swimming coach looked after me for, uh, weeks at a time until my mother came home. And, um, yeah, that was just a few days before this uh, event we were going to in Nova Scotia. And, um, uh, basically a number of months before that, I'd, um, had another family confrontation that wasn't as bad, but um, I'd swam 1500 meter freestyle in the, in the Newfoundland championships. And I'd done miserably um, just cause I was just mentally affected by the family chaos. Mm-hmm. So I was standing at the water's edge of this Truro triathlon and I was 17, you know, and I, in the triathlons that I've been doing up till then, I've been starting to come out of the water reasonably close to the leaders and um but i never actually won the swim and my pattern in triathlon was drop back some on the bike uh because i was a relatively weaker cyclist and occasionally have put in a really good run and make up some time so in this triathlon in truro nova scotia i was standing at the water's edge and i was just like kind of you know my mind was just all over the place uh wondering how it was going to be affected you know um and i just had this moment probably 30 seconds before the gun went off and I won't use the exact language that was going on in my head. It's in the exact language is in my little book that I book, wrote. Yes. But, um, but, you know, I just went, Kit, um, I'm not, I'm not going to stand a chance against these guys on the bike, but I'm leaving. Uh, I, I'm not letting this man affect me. I'm leaving everyone behind and I'm going to make these guys hurt like hell and make up a lot of ground to catch me today. And I just had the best swim of my life up until that point. And honestly, like of all the swimming I've done, we'll get to the Clutha River and crossing Lake Tekapo and New Zealand and all that stuff. But honestly, that 1500 meter swim in that triathlon is my favorite swim that I've ever done. Wow. Because, you know, I, uh, you know, it was one of those things that life was going off the rails and uh, things just, you know, triathlon brought me back from the brink and, you know, the swim part in particular. 
And uh, on that day, I came out of the water, you know, I was a long way up and I was expecting my pattern of being passed. And except for the top ranked guy in the field, he passed me finally about 20K into the bike of 40K. And I was expecting guys when I got off the bike, oh, surely they're going to catch me now. But I was just on fire and I nearly ran down the leader and I came in second place. So wow. from, from my point of view, I came from a guy who tripped over his feet in his first triathlon and smashed into the first boy. And, you know, that was one of my best performances in my, you know, I've, I've, I've since won other triathlons, not anymore because I'm now 46, but um, you know, I, uh, that, that's my favorite performance. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was three or four weeks later. Um, I went to that swim in Lac St. John. Working the yeah. demons out or something, right? Sorry. Just I missed trying that. to think. That's okay. I was just thinking about the, um, you know, just how, like swimming and triathlon, you know, like sport can be so therapeutic. Absolutely. Like, and you can Absolutely. also learn, so learning about yourself and your own capabilities can mm -hmm. really help you through those really tough, tough family situations. And yeah, absolutely. And like, it, like I, my, I, I guess a shift in my, I look at that race as something that's shifted my whole adult thinking and my adult life. You know, it was largely born out of, you know, A, I was becoming more experienced in training, yes. Um, but it, it would be a mistake to think that being angry at something is a healthy way to deal with, you know, and and basically like, you know, it's been, you, you probably heard this. I mean, most endurance athletes that I know have had it suggested to have at least one person that why are you doing this form of self-flagellation? You know, like, why are you making yourself hurt? Yeah. And obviously, like if you make yourself hurt when you're already hurting, that can go into a downward spiral in a different way. Um, in my case, it didn't. And in my case, it even with the benefit of retrospective, I, I believe it was healthy. But I recognize that, you know, if you in doing something that is inherently painful to escape from some other kind of pain that can go in the bad direction. Um, I don't have the answer to what formula exactly to keep it on a healthy level is, but whatever it was that I did, I like to think worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's, I guess it's a, like, there's, um, a, a self, you know, like the, it's recognizing what you're, what we, and as an individual, what you're capable of that. And it, that, mm -hmm. to me, like, that's the value, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's like a value of like individual sports, whereas team sports, you really learn like this team atmosphere. And I think there's mm -hmm. value to that too, but there's just something for me in marathon swimming about realizing like what I'm capable of you know, mm -hmm. and, and defying my own belief about what I thought I could do. That is, um, I don't know, it's transformative for me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm, I, you know, 100%, you know, can relate to that. And um, it, for me, team is like, it's not that I don't like teams. I mean, I, I love people. I mean, I'm, I've got a very extroverted side and I've got a very introverted side. Um, I would happily be on a team if I was capable of not stuffing everything up for the team, uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like I, I would have happily played basketball because I, I do, I do actually enjoy just running around for, you know, on the field and all that sort of thing. But um, you know, I'm kind of glad that, you know, I'm not at all skilled in, you know, handling a ball or aiming for a target of any kind, because I do love triathlon more and it does allow you to explore a deep and uh, marathon swimming, uh, a deeper side of yourself. And for me, uh, like I say, I mean, I've been, I'm one of the few triathletes that the swim is the strongest leg and that's always been the case, but it's more so now, uh, because I'm even more into marathon swimming. So I still train mostly as a triathlete, but a lot more emphasis on swimming than the average triathlete. And what I've always loved about the open water in particular is I, I just, I can get into a meditate, a meditative flow state. Um, I, I do yoga as well. And I've tried meditating. Um, the physical part of yoga is great. It helps me keep me injury free, but sitting under a tree or looking at a candle, my mind will just go a little, 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 little. Uh, but for whatever reason, swinging my arms to the water, uh, particularly open water, uh, my mind can quiet. Uh, that's where I get my meditative state happening. Even if I'm going hard and hurting, 
Um, so that's one of the reasons I think I'm capable of swimming for, you know, a lot longer and doing these stage swims that I now do. Mm-hmm. Um, is I'm, it's in my flow state. I don't get bored. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me, and I'm sure you've gotten this question as well, is like, isn't that boring? You know, like, you know, like, you know, going for swimming for three, four, five, six, more than that, you know, 10 hours, you know, like, <laughs> you know, isn't yeah. that like, this is the most boring thing ever. And objectively, I guess you sort of have to agree. You're just going for hours and hours and hours and swinging your arms and you can't talk to people. And that's, you know, one of the things I love about it is, you know, like I mentioned, I had an, I have an extroverted side, but marathon swimming, even more so than running and cycling allows you to really explore being an introvert. Cause even if you're with other people, you can't talk to them unless you stop. Right. And I, there's some magic in that. I, I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah. always um, perplexed by the, the person who wants to do marathon swimming, but they get bored like in a, in a pool. I don't know. There's a, it's fascinating talking to so many marathon swimmers because some people are like, Oh, well you like purposely, like you make yourself bored swimming back and forth in a pool, like in order to mm-hmm. kind of go, go to the open water. And like, I mean, cause for me, like being in the open water is hardly boring. No, <laughs> it's, there's just so much <laughs> you get to, you know, see things, whatever. It's just huge, hugely adventurous, but, um, but yeah, but there's a, there's definitely a mind shift that has to happen. Like if you think boredom's even an option, it's probably not the sport for you. <laughs> No, I mean, the people who love swimming, like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think we made this joke on your Marathon Swimming Collective Facebook page a number of months ago. You, you, I, th- I don't remember if it was you or someone else who posed the question, what do you say to marathon, potential marathon swimmers who say they get bored? And I, I recall making a joke, well, there, you know, there's always the 100-meter freestyle. Exactly, and, yeah. and, and there's nothing, and like, I don't want to knock that. I don't want to make it sound like I'm making that a derogatory statement. 100-meter mm-hmm. freestyle is great. You know, it's just, for me, it's, it's over too fast, you know, like, exactly. Exactly. you know, like, and some people, want I can't even warm up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, um, so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different mindset. It's not necessarily a better mindset, but I mean, the ability to not get bored doing the same thing over and over the same physical thing. I mean, I personally don't really get bored in the pool either. Um, I'm quite happy to go, you know, seven to 10 K swim practice during the week or on the weekend when, you know, in the cold months when, you know, either the water is frozen or a bit too cold to be going that long. Um, but I mean, put me in the open water. And I mean, especially on a beautiful day when you got only not, you know, I don't know what it's like. I mean, I imagine the never been to Oregon where you were, but <laughs> you know, lots of beautiful mountains and everything around the lakes and, and, the, uh, and all that. I mean, here in New Zealand, uh, I just feel like a spoiled little child with all the options we have with these glacial lakes and you know, the beautiful coastline, which is right next to here, me here in Christchurch. And, um, you know, the rivers that, you know, we'll get into river swimming soon enough, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I don't know how you, I could not get bored in the open water, especially when, you know, you got the dolphin showing up and, you know, the fish going underneath you and all that. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just it's unreal. I love it. Yeah. I'm about to book a trip to New Zealand. Sign me up. That sounds amazing. Well, as soon as world travel is normal again, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been ironic this whole, I won't talk about COVID any, uh, for any length of time, but I mean, this whole time, I mean, New Zealand's kind of been the envy of the world. And now, you know, not here in Christchurch on South Island, but Auckland, unfortunately, you know, it's not doing so well at the moment. Uh, but hopefully, you know, fingers crossed by, I'll say Christmas, but no sense in speculating because I yeah. gave up speculating on what's going to happen about 18 months ago. So Good choice. Good choice. So let's see. I know you've probably had a, there was probably a lot between the foundational 1500 meter triathlon and the following 16 K, but how did that, like, where, where is it taken? You maybe just give us the highlights. Well, I mean, uh, you know, um, my book is called Downriver Nomad. Yes. And yes, the reason it's called that is because, well, it, it ends with the Clutha River Swim, which we'll get to shortly. But uh, it's fair to say I've been a nomadic person. You know, I mean, I, you know, modern nomad, I guess. But um, I've lived in five countries, obviously Canada, where I'm from. I uh, did my education in England. Uh, so I lived there for four years doing marathon swimming and triathlon events and uh, some events through Europe and things like that. Uh, then I moved to Australia, um, um, immediately after graduating college and, you know, I didn't really have a plan other than I'll go work there for a while. 
Um, the reason being is because when I was five years old, I decided I wanted to uh, live in Australia. You know, um, Good reason. <laughs> the, the very short version of that story is basically my mother. I don't know if she recognized my love of maps or if um, she had this gigantic map and I just fell in love with it. I don't really know which one happened first. But she used to play this game called the map. She just called it the map game with us. She'd give me and my sister two letters. Uh, and she'd say, right, find a country that begins with that first letter. Find a city within that country that begins with the second one. So even though I'm from a pretty small town, um, you know, I started to gain a knowledge of where places were. And for whatever reason, developed this fascination with Australia. And I said, right, I'm going to go ride my BMX bike around Australia when I'm, you know, well, I said this when I was five. I'm going to ride my BMX bike going looking for koalas and kangaroos. And it was right on all accounts, except it turned out to be a triathlon bike, not a BMX. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I moved to Australia and, you know, it continued doing triathlons and marathon swimming there. Like I did this amazing marathon swim in this section of South Australia that's called the Coorong. Mm. Uh, it's where the Murray River meets the ocean. But it, the unique geography there is that it grad the Coorong Peninsula separates the ocean and where the Murray River dumps into it, it um, it's a gradual transition of fresh water to salt water. Mm -hmm. uh, so my first part of this particular 20K marathon swim that I did in the Coorong, which was a self-organized, not a race, um, you know, you're starting off in fresh water and this gradual, no, there's, there's the salt and you can taste a little bit of it and a little bit more and oh, okay, I'm in the salt water. And, you know, pelicans were going around and, you know, seals and, yeah, just, just an incredible environment. And that was one of the, one of the highlights of swimming, marathon swimming in Australia. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah and then I, then I eventually, we, my wife and I did a year in Singapore, uh, which was different because I'm not really a city guy. Uh, but then uh, we, uh, we eventually moved to New Zealand not quite four years ago. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Do you think it'll stick? New Zealand, uh, I can't imagine a reason why I'd leave. I mean, I'm old enough now to know that I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to bother trying to predict. Um, I'm, I'm at the stage now where I don't think I want to be nomadic um, in terms of living. Uh, I think because I've just realized how much, how expensive it is moving countries all the time. <laughs> and what I love about New Zealand is that it's, it's very small in comparison, you know, to Canada and the US and Australia. But in this compact country, there's just, you know, um, you know, there's just so many spoiled for choice adventure options uh, that are just so easy to get to, um, um, you know, the rivers, the, the lakes, the oceans, and, you know, and I still run around in the mountains, both on, on foot and on mountain bike and uh, cycle touring, you know, the, the adventure options here, even though it's not a big place, I don't think I'll live long enough to do them all. <laughs> uh, yeah like i mean because every time i go to a place that i've never been or have been before i learn about, oh there's another trail over there or i didn't know about that river that is deep enough for swimming or huh never thought of swimming across that lake because you know it never came to my mind and you know so there's just just so much stuff to do it's just a it i mean um you know for for a marathon swimming adventure triathlete um like because most of my triathlon related stuff the cycling and the running isn't done on you know the race course now it's done out in the back country um and i'd make up a lot of my own what i call self-made adventure triathlons mm -hmm. where i'll pick a lake or i'll pick a river the next day i'll go ride the mountain bike and the next day i'll go on a mountain track and run um so the the options are limitless um and obviously the last i don't know 18 months or whatever it's been you know travel options have not been there um but uh, other than being in new zealand for me anyway mm -hmm. and um yeah so i mean i'm not going to rule out ever moving again because you know i don't like to predict what might happen to 5 10 15 years from now but i'm an extremely content man in new zealand <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> what tell us about um transitioning to kind of self self-made events and and like what kind of knowledge and experience and things that uh, you that you've had to pick up or are you just learning as you go or tell us about that well, um I, I, well it's definitely a learning as i go i mean uh, you know um i've been a triathlete since i was 13 i'm now 46 and uh i did that year in singapore where you know i did the singapore triathlon both sprint distance and olympic distance and i did 
several mar- organized marathon swims there. And, you know, I mean, obviously Singapore being that small place, but, you know, very populated, I, I just suffered what I call nature deficiency syndrome. Uh, it was an interesting experience, but I won't do it again. Um, and um, yeah, so when I got to New Zealand, I just, the first two triathlons I did here, you know, the, just, just the sprint distance, you know, 750 meter swim, 20 K bike, 5 K run. They, they were in suburbia and it just, you know, I was like, I'm in the, one of the most beautiful countries on the planet. What am I running around suburbia for? Uh, you know, I mean, I've done plenty of mountain expeditions and desert and all that stuff before, but that was my first experience. Like, you know, within a few months of being in New Zealand, I was running in suburbia as hard as I could. And I was like, I, I just wasn't lit up by competition. Uh, I realized that I wanted to, you know, if I'm going to be with other people, I wanted to be like a small group. You know, if we if we're out in the ocean, we can stop, we can chat. You know, we can if you if a dolphin float uh, swims by, I want to say good day to him. You know, uh, and the same sort of thing out on the mountains. You know, like if I'm up on the mountains, either on the road and the bike or the backcountry mountain bike or on running, if there's a really beautiful view, I don't want to feel the pressure of racing. Uh, I just wanted to stop and soak it up and, you know, either solo or in the camaraderie of a small group. Not that I'm not racing anymore. Like I just, you know, I used to do, you know, eight to 10 triathlons a year, plus five to five or seven marathon swims a year competition. Um, and I, I just found I, I really like pushing the limits of endurance still. Uh, but nature became more important to me than trying to be as fast as I could. Um, you know, in uh, that's not to say I don't, swim as fast as I can a lot. Uh, but if I see something that's really nice to look at, I'm not feeling like, Oh, I can't stop because I'm, you know, I'm not allowed. Um, you know, I, I, that, that became more important. Um, and then I, I, I had a number of experiences. It, it actually started, um, the main catalyst was, uh, actually a run in when I was still living in Australia. Um, there's a trail in the Northern territory, not that far from Alice Springs, called the Lara Pinta Trail. And um, it was this four-day run um, out in, like, the desert. And it was literally one of those places on Earth where you could go to Mars, um, but you could also go to the Lara Pinta Trail, and it probably wouldn't be a whole lot different. You know, it's uh, (laughs) uh, it's, as close to Mars as you could get without having to go rescue Matt Damon in that movie he was in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And... um, so this was this four day run. I mean, it, it was a race, but, you know, I wasn't one of the top contenders. I mean, I was um, for my running. I seem to be one of those people that no one is, runs the same speed as me. Plenty of people are faster. Plenty of people are slower. But there's not that many people I've ever run with in 30 years that are actually the same speed runner as me. Um, so, um, yeah, I did this four day run and because I was alone or only with a couple of people here and there at a time for four days out in literally nowhere. Um, that was kind of a transformative moment thing for me. And I thought, you know, then I heard about, you know, guys like Martin Strell, you know, the guy who swam the Amazon river and, um, you know, and I thought, okay, I really enjoyed running for four days. That really beat me up. Um, you know, I've been cycle touring for weeks at a time. I'm not sure I want to swim for, I think it was 66 days. Martin took to swim the Amazon and I'm not hundred percent convinced. I want to swim with piranhas and anaconda snakes. Um, <laughs> you know, I think you may be familiar with his story. I don't know. Uh, you know, um, and I didn't really want to swim through pollution, right. you know, um, you know, I like clean water and New Zealand fortunately has lots of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just became intrigued by organizing either by myself or, you know, if there's an event that takes four or five days that's within my budget um, or six days or a week or so, I'm, you know, quite happy to, you know, have this, um, you know, staged event is what I really like and going for anywhere between four to 10 hours in the day and getting up and repeat, whether that's back-to-back swimming or a swim one day, a run one day, a bike one day. That's the kind of thing that I've, you know, gotten really into. Um, and like one of, one of the main events that I'm planning this, uh, this coming summer is I'm not sure if you're familiar with the place called Milford sound fjord in New Zealand. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of the iconic fjords in, in New Zealand and it's, you know, stunning place. Um, it's not important that no one's ever swam it, but no one has ever swam it. 
and it's approximately measured, crudely measured on Google map to be about 20K. So one of the things that I'm going to do this summer is I'm going to swim the length of Milford Sound with some boat support. And the next day, three or four of my running friends are going to run the Milford track, which is 56, 50, 50 something kilometers anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a multi-sport marathon swim. But I asked the guys, hey, do you want to swim the, the, the fjord first? They're like, no, 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 we'll just stick to the run. You, you can swim. <laughs> 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 Talk to me about pioneering is another thing that fascinates me about um well marathon swimming and you're and you're doing it like on all fronts with the with the bike and the run and the swim. Um and you'd mentioned it's not important that no one's done it, but no one's done it. So like how much is that yeah. that is a draw for you to pioneer new things? Well well look, I mean uh, just on that note, I mean I'll get right into you know the Clutha because that's kind of arguably the the thing that no one else had done and uh it's not i don't want to the clutha river in new zealand in just you know quickly it was 256 kilometers long um and it goes from a little town that's just this idyllic mountain lake town called wanaka um pretty much in the center of south island and it goes kind of the southeast direction and drains into the pacific and it's the most, it's not, it's the second longest river in New Zealand. Um, and it's the longest on South Island. Uh, but it's by far the most powerful river, uh, you know, in terms of water volume, current strength, all that stuff. Uh, the, the, the longer river on North Island is, is, is quite, I can't, is, I, forgive me. I can't remember if it's called the Wanganui. I think it's called the Wanganui river. Uh, it's probably about 50 K longer, but it's, it's, there's almost no rapids. It's very slow. Mm. And, um, yeah, so um, I haven't actually been there yet. That might go on the to-do list. Uh, <laughs> <not>. <laughs> but um, the Clutha, um, uh, basically it came to my attention. Um, I'd done this river swimming event that was organized um, in, uh, in my first marathon swimming season here in, here in New Zealand. Um, there's a, a little town called Tiano in um, um, in the southeast corner, sorry, southwest corner of South Island. And uh, Lake Tiano um, has this river called the Waiau River, where they actually, uh, did, did in the first Lord of the Rings film, I don't recall the name of the river that's in Lord of the Rings, but uh, that there's some river scenes that are were shot there. Mm-hmm. And um, by this stage, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of money um, doing, you know, these fur flung adventures because i mean i realized that you know the financial side you know i do okay but you know and i don't you know i don't earn a stack of money i'm a chiropractor and i see enough people to live and have adventures <laughs> but you know I, I have no desire to uh you know um uh bankrupt myself doing this because i've been in debt before and don't want that again right. and um so my wife had kind of gently nudged me, like rather than trying to set these big goals, like, you know, do the ocean seven, like just purely objectively. I mean, if someone wrote me a blank check and say, yeah, go to the ocean seven. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's start tomorrow, you know, but uh, it's, it, as I'm sure you probably know, it's no cheap endeavor. So, um, uh, so my wife said to me, she said, you know, she actually said to me when we were visiting Lake Tekapo in winter, which is not when you would swim Lake Tekapo. Right. Uh, it's a 26 kilometer lake that I did swim in February past. Uh, she said, if you were to swim across Lake Tekapo, look at that. She said, all it would cost you is a hotel room and buy your kayak or a pizza. Would you have a worse, <laughs> you know, would you have a worse time swimming than if you spent six or 7,000 or $8,000 to go do a swim? And she was like, huh. Why didn't you say that to me years ago? That was, that's a great idea, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, so my my wife, who is very active, we go cycling and camping together. She she's never been competitive, but she's very active. You know, that was kind of one of those nudges in that direction. And then anyway, we went down to this. Uh, I went down and did this swim in Tiana, where we swam approximately three kilometers across the lake. The twenty-two kilometer Waiau River then drains into Lake Manapuri. Uh, that was my first real experience in river swimming. And, um, I just had the most fun, like I've always had fun marathon swimming, but something about river swimming just lit me up. You know, I mean, it was just this, this just completely different set of skills that I can't explain it 
you know, there's no practical value to it other than if I was in a boat and fell in the river, I could survive, you know, but I have, yeah, don't want to sound like I'm shooting my mouth off, but I'm very good at river swimming, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. and it, it just seemed to be a natural talent. One of the few that I have. And um, <laughs> um, so this, I always worry this, about the rocks when I'm swimming in rivers, they sneak up on you really fast. <laughs> that's true. And like, uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why not every river is going to be swimmable. Right. Um, you know, like the, there's a river, uh, I'll try to stay on, uh, you know, focused on one river at a time, but there's a, just on that note, there's a river called the Buller river in New Zealand, which have also swam the lower 42 kilometers of, um, you can't, sw- well, you shouldn't swim the upper Buller because there's too many rocks, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like it'd be dangerous. Ca- kayakers do it. Uh, but uh, I mean, I, I just ruled out swimming the upper Buller. Uh, but no one had ever swam the lower buller. No one ever thought that would be a good idea. And, mm-hmm. you know, after I swam this riversome event that, you know, like I say, went across Lake Tiano down the YO, uh, which is the Lord of the Rings river. And then, uh, then across uh, what's called Lake Manapuri, just another, just otherworldly stunning, surrounded by mountains, just absolutely beautiful place. Um, that, that event that was an organized swim, but only nine people did it. Um, it was organized by a, a, a little group of people called the Fear Society, which was the Fjordland Endurance and Adventure Racing Society. So Fear nice. Society. I love it. <laughs> um, you know, that, that ignited my river swimming thing. So I, I did, after, I don't know, a few weeks after that event, I emailed the race director um, and said, hey, you know, I've only been in New Zealand a relatively short time. I've seen other rivers, but they're all too shallow. Which other rivers would be good to swim? And he goes, well, there's the Clutha, uh, but you'd probably only be able to do it in a one day thing, like swim the upper Clutha because it's 256 kilometers long. And, uh, and I thought, oh, so, and I asked them, you know, like in an exchange email, I said, like, is it deep the whole way or is it just deep at the start? And he goes, no, no, it's deep the whole way, but you can never do it in a day because it's 256 kilometers long. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't have to do it in a day. I'll do it in lots of days. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he, um, so basically, um, I came up with this idea, but I'd never actually been there at that point. And I looked at YouTube videos and then I just emailed the harbor master in Otago, you know, responsible for all the marine safety. And I said, Hey, I got this idea. I'm a marathon swimmer. I want to swim the Clutha. And he goes, what do you think? And he goes, and he, the email I got back was, I mean, I would have loved to have seen his face when he read this email. He goes, he emailed me back and he said, I don't know who you are, but only an idiot would try to swim the Clutha. You know, it'd be, it'd be impossible. <laughs> and I, I just, I looked back at the YouTube videos. And I said, this, this looks swimmable. So I thought, I'm, I'm an idiot. I'll go try this. So I basically, yeah, I went down. This was in the winter. So, I mean, you couldn't swim the Clutha in the winter. It'd be too cold. But I went down to Wanaka um, and I got the kayaking tour company to take me out on the river. And I got, oh yeah, this is, this is doable. I mean, yeah, you'd probably had to be an idiot to do it, but I'll, I'm an idiot. I'll go for it. And, um, you know, I didn't see, see the full length of the river, only the upper section. So, um, basically over the next 10 or 11 months, I think it was, I just said, yep, I'll self-organize this adventure. I'll estimate how far I'll get each day, but not really knowing, you know, like if it was still water, I mean, I can pretty much estimate how far I could get in a day, but, because the Clutha has a couple of dams on it and there's, you know, there's strong sections, there's weaker sections and there's sections where, you know, you got to swim across uh, what's called Lake Dunstan as well, which is a 14 kilometer lake. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, by, I'm going to call it an absolute fluke that where I chose to stay each night turned out to be exactly where we got. Um, That's not by wonderful planning on my, well, I did do a lot of planning, but it's not because, I'm just a genius or anything like that. It was a total fluke that that's how the current strength worked out each day. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, but yeah, the, uh, the Clutha, um, I swam that in February, 2020, incidentally, just a month before the world went mad. Oh, geez. Um, Yeah. Like I'd heard the word COVID before, but I didn't really, you know, take any notice of it. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was going to be, you know, like another swine flu, I guess, you know, like not good, but, Right. didn't really affect life i didn't i didn't think <laughs> so but anyway um yeah how many we, uh, hours a day did you end up swimming 
roughly? Well, um, it varied a little bit. Uh, the shortest day um, was seven hours and change. And the longest uh, day was just over nine hours. Wow. Um, so it took, I estimated it would take me six days. Um, and I, well, I thought it might take me five. So I allowed for six and, you know, I thought maybe seven or eight, just in case there's bad weather, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. Uh, it was one of those wonderful weeks where the New Zealand weather just cooperated, you know, it didn't have any weather delays. And, um, uh, but three weeks before, this is the other thing about river swimming, as you know, in every marathon swim outside, you got to be obviously mindful of the weather and the water conditions, but river swimming, you got to also factor in, well, was there a flood recently or was there a drought where the <laughs> river's not deep enough? Mm-hmm. So three weeks out um, from the Clutha swim, there was actually a severe storm that flooded the Clutha. Um, and, you know, um, cubics, which is cubic meters of water per second, for those who don't know, that's how they measure water uh, flow. I mean, the Clutha averages approximately 600 cubics um, as its water flow. And it actually got up to 3,200 cubics um, um, in the storm. So there's no, I mean, if that had happened during my swim, no chance would I have jumped in the water. It would have been been suicide. Uh, But it finally settled down just three days before the scheduled start. And it actually was wonderful because it cleared out a lot of debris, you know, made it actually safer. Um, I just think that, the universe has smiled on me on that week because, you know, all the conditions lined up, the weather, the flood went down, there was no debris. Um, Yeah, it was, um, I was very, very fortunate because one of the things that I talk about, um, you know, one of the things I reflect on and when I started writing about it um, was that, you know, I looked back on quite a number of things in my life that, you know, where things went wrong and you think, okay, what could I have done differently? And, you know, was I being an idiot there or was that just really bad luck? It's like, you don't really control anything. Um, you have influence over what happens, but at the end of the day, you don't actually control it. And I think, you know, I, there's an expression that a lot of people use, you know, only contr- only try to control what you can control. And I personally, I could be wrong, uh, but personally, I think that's a misleading thing because I don't think you can control anything. Um, you know, you can influence a lot of things, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, the actual outcome that happens isn't a hundred percent within your control. Yeah. So, uh, river swimming makes that very apparent to me. Um, uh, I think in retrospect, you know, when, you know, looking back on my dad's alcoholism and a lot of the other things that have happened, I was trying to control a lot of my life. I had made a firm decision to never become an alcoholic, you know, when I was a teenager and up until I was 30, I refused to have a drop of alcohol. Like I now enjoy, a, I now enjoy a glass of red wine each week. Uh, like I've loosened up on that. Um, but for me, it was trying to control everything. I was like, right. I saw what it did to my father and I thought I am never doing that. Um, so I think I was trying to take control of my life uh, by making decisions like that. And, you know, a lot of things went arguably really well. But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like everyone else, there's been times where things have gone off the rails and you look back and you think, oh, geez, how did that happen? You know, I thought I was doing all the right things. And, you know, even with arguably a good amount of self-discipline and doing a lot of things that are arguably healthy, uh, you know, things don't always go so well. Um, yeah. So for me, river swimming is makes that very apparent and, uh, you know, understanding there's a skill set you can prepare but at the end of the day it wasn't me that decided i can swim the clutha now the i look at it you know not in a heebie-jeebie sort of way or hippie way but like the clutha allowed me to swim in it and i have the skill set from years of training to be able to do it thanks Mm -hmm. to being allowed yeah 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 no i think i probably probably didn't i probably didn't say that as well as it could be articulated but i think you get the idea (laughs) <laughs> I've heard other people talk about that, like that. Well, especially with the English channels, like she'll let you pass or she won't. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I, I've read many accounts. I haven't swam the English channel myself, but I've read many accounts and, you know, the cook straight is the same uh, yeah. here in New Zealand. I haven't done that yet, but it will be on the list eventually. 
um, you know, in the Fovo Strait, which is on the south between uh, Stewart Island and, you know, and, um, and South Island, that's on my to-do list as well. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, marathon swimming is one of those things where, you know, like the conditions have to line up. And if the conditions just aren't going to go well, doesn't matter how tough you are, yeah. you know, you ain't going to get around it. And um, that's one of the things I've loved for, about transitioning from being a competitive athlete to what I just refer to as an athlete adventurer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember where I first heard that expression. I probably read it somewhere. I, I don't recall who, who said it, but, you know, competitive athletes, generally speaking, are training in a largely sealed environment. You know, mm-hmm. that's not true for a hundred percent of sports, obviously, but, you know, there's, I won't say controllable conditions, but, you know, the, the, the conditions are set up that you've got a better chance of, succeeding mm-hmm. uh but an athlete adventurer you know i mean like you are you know it is um in the old expression you know man or i'll say human versus nature i mean nature mm-hmm. is going to win if if if, if nature wants to yeah so um, yeah. that's one of the things i find intriguing about being more of an adventurer triathlete mm-hmm. and adventure you know like i say with the focus of marathon swimming as opposed to um you know saying here's the distance let's go as fast as possible right yeah totally i think just two more questions and then we'll, we'll wrap it up um yep. <laughs> i think you've kind of touched on this but maybe just in a little package what what have you learned about yourself through marathon swimming well uh through marathon swimming and you know triathlon um i like to think you know i've learned you know there isn't any like i say no control um, like I say, I'll, when I had it in my head that I wanted to control having a life of adventure full of love and laughter and meeting funny and interesting characters, that's what I wanted to control. Um, and I've certainly met a lot of funny and interesting characters along the way and, uh, you know, had a lot of adventures, but, um, I, I just think you find, you know, there's a resilience that you can build up. I don't think you can build resilience without challenging yourself. And, you know, I've heard it said by the you know, people like Dean Karnazes, who's that ultra marathon runner. You know, he has this expression, you know, people in modern life are so comfortable, they're miserable. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why things like marathon swimming and the increasingly popular ultra marathons and Ironman triathlons. And like these days, I mean, there's these crazy events in almost every kind of endurance sport there is where it's just getting a bit more outside the box. And, you know, that's really appealing. And I think so many people myself included that doing things like this, you know, uh, it's a primal thing, you know, you, you know, we don't have to go out and hunt for our food. We can just go pick it up. And, you know, uh, you know, if we are too cold, we turn up the heat We're too hot. We can turn on the air con, you know, we can, uh, so there's, there's a balance. Like, I think obviously like anything, it could be taken too far, but I mean, challenging yourself is, uh, I don't want to say make it sound like everyone has to be an endurance athlete, but like, uh, I don't want to sound, make it sound like that at all, but I think challenging yourself in one way or another, whether you want to challenge yourself in the water on the trail, challenge yourself with a musical instrument or challenge yourself by painting a beautiful picture or whatever floats your boat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think following your heart and doing what you love is, is very important. And that doesn't necessarily mean your absolute passion in life has to be what you do for work. Uh, I'm fortunate that I love my work, uh, but, um, you know, some people say you have to make your passion your vocation. And in some in many cases, that is obviously good and it works and all that sort of thing. But, you know, um, well, not everyone's going to be able to, if everyone loved marathon swimming, you, you can't have everyone being a marathon swimmer, you know, right. do a, <laughs> other things have to happen in life. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, um, I, basically I've learned to follow my heart. And, uh, you know, when I was 17, a few days after my dad attacked me, following my heart led me to a triathlon and following a triathlon led me to, um, marathon swimming and, and also this traveling life that I've had and following my heart led me to the Clutha river. And also just at the risk of sounding like I'm plugging it. Um, I, I was going to ask, I was going to yeah. ask, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, I was a very creative little kid. Um, I was into art. And and when I wasn't running around getting dirtier in the water, I was into art and I was always writing short stories when I was a little kid and uh, somewhere through adulthood, I don't recall exactly when, lost touch with my creative side. 
And then uh, basically a month after the Clutha, like uh, I'm an avid reader. You probably are as well. Like I've read Lynn Cox's stuff. I read Dean Karnazes. I read Ross Edgley. You know, those sorts of people are, you know, a lot of the people I like reading about. And I always had it in my head, like, I want to write a book like that. And I thought one of the reasons I didn't was just excuse of time. And the other one was like, who's going to read about me? Why would, why would anyone do that? That's, you know, that seemed a bit egomaniac to me because I haven't won an Olympic gold medal and I wasn't the first to climb Everest or anything like that. So basically when I finished the swimming, the Clutha, um, you know, it took four and a half days to reach the Pacific and I was just on this absolute high. Um, and I thought, Two, three hours later, I thought, there's a logical conclusion to that book I've always wanted to write. <laughs> and then, um, you know, when I recovered and I went back to work, I said, right, I started jotting down notes. And then, you know, a month later, I was like, oh, we're in lockdown, you know, and uh, <laughs> lockdown project. Um, yeah. And on the second day of lockdown in New Zealand for seven weeks, um, we had what, uh, what could be said was one of the strictest lockdowns in the world. And up until recently, it worked. Um, but um, yeah, I just thought on the second day of lockdown, I was like, right, don't want to sit around watching Netflix for however long this is going to last. Uh, I want to write this. And um, that's what I started doing. And it, it took longer than the seven-week lockdown that we had in New Zealand. Um, it, you know, it took me uh, the, the best part of the pandemic because we recently, Auckland is still in lockdown. Christchurch and, well, the whole of New Zealand had a, three-week lockdown, I think it was. Um, and I started writing on the second day of the first lockdown and I got it up on the online platforms for pre-order on the second last day of the second lockdown. Wow. <laughs> it took a while. It was, you know, it, and it, for me, it was like an honestly a different kind of marathon swim, if you will, um, yeah. because, um, you know, I'd never done anything like it. And I think there's a certain number of people that think that writing a book is kind of this romantic, idyllic lifestyle it's hard work. Um, you know, the flow stage where I was just free writing, I got it down to about 82 or 83,000 words, which is a standard length for, you know, most books. Um, I had originally written close to 200,000, which I realized yeah. that's not what you do when you write a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, basically I, I didn't, I realized somewhere through, I don't need to describe every single marathon swim and every single triathlon I ever did to tell a story. Uh, but it, again, that was valuable for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so my little book, Downriver Nomad, uh, it, culmination of it is the Clutha River. Um, but, you know, I described that first, uh, my first triathlon, which is a disaster. And, um, you know, there's uh, adventure-based triathlon. And, there, you know, I went to the World Championships in triathlon in 1998. And uh, there's also some comedic mishaps. Like, uh, I had the... Uh, there was this absolute fiasco. I won't describe it to you know spoil any readers, but there was this absolute fiasco in the Montreal airport after the 1994 triathlon Canadian national championships. And I was 19 at the time, and that was my first real experience traveling on my own. And uh, it was a dis absolute disaster. Um, <laughs> I think I'll be a contender for the world's worst way to um, get home after an Ironman triathlon, um, <laughs> that was in Britain. Um, when in a trek in Mongolia, I somehow inadvertently offended the gods. Oops. Um, that was a big, uh -oh, I'm in trouble here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I lost a fight to a turtle in a marathon swim. Oh, no. uh, wow. Yeah. I'm uh, not going to explain that any longer, but yeah. uh, any more in any Save more detail, it. but there's uh, man versus nature, and in that one, man lost. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, where, um, where, how can we get? How can we find your book? Uh, it's on all the online platforms, uh, okay. so you can use Amazon. Uh, you know, personally, like if you don't want to use Amazon, uh, you know, in America, there's Barnes and Noble. I'm not 100% sure of all the other American online platforms, other than those, but. Um, you know, there's uh, Booktopia and Book Depository. Uh, there's Fish Pond in Australia and New Zealand. Um, there's a few other ones in Canada, but um, yeah, but basically um, on most of the major online book platforms, you can find it. It's called Downriver Nomad and it was released on Monday uh, just this week. So October, uh, yesterday for you, two days ago for me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah.
yeah, so this is what Very it looks cool. like. And uh, uh, anyone who wants to read this crazy little story, um, it. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Rob. Thank you very mm -hmm. much for sharing your story with us. Well, I'll be thank sure you and uh, include a link. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And great to finally meet you. Not on a Facebook comment. Right. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have you heard of the Intrepid Water Accountability Group? We'll support and encourage each other on a private chat platform, pursue monthly challenges both in the water and on land, and meet virtually once a month to dive deep on a topic. If you'd like to join a group of like-minded limit pushers from around the globe, join the Intrepid Water Accountability Group. Find out more at intrepidwater.com.